deep motivation. What's the desire for you to do what you are embarking on to do? Because entrepreneurship is hard. We know all the stats. I'm not going to go there, but it's like most of the businesses fail. I'm Vladimira Meshkobrystinska. I'm a founder of Neem Exponential and The Future Farm. And you are listening to Gut Talks, double G, U, double T. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season one of Gut Talks, double G, U, double T, a podcast focusing on business and tech for good, experience design and gut feelings. I'm Maria, designer, strategist and venture builder running two ventures, GUT, Double G, UWT, and Other Dots Foundation. I decided to launch GUT Talks as the pandemic hit with an ambition to educate, put some karma on the board, and feature entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and investors who deserve recognition and have inspiring stories to tell. Feel free to email me if you need me, maria at gut.com, double G, UWT, or check the links in the show notes. Now let's get started. Our guest today is Vladimira Meshko-Byashtenska, founder of Neem Exponential and co-founder and CEO of The Future Farm, who currently has three homes, Bratislava, London, and Karachi in Pakistan. After having worked in social innovation and fintech in Africa and London, she felt the need to go back to an emerging country again and had an opportunity to do that. So she took on the challenge with The Future Farm, of which she's a co-founder, And she also has a podcast called The Naked Podcast, focusing on the challenges facing entrepreneurs, which is global. So, Vladimir, I'm so happy to have you uh, join me on Gut Talks today. How <laughs> thank, are you? Thank you? Hi, Maria. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on Gut Talks. And I love the bells in the background. <laughs> you yeah. are in Milan, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I'm, I'm in Milan and the bells are go here on every kind of hour or so. So, But for this podcast, usually I try to record the podcast when the bells are not on, but they always come up at some point. We cut it, but I'm keeping it this time because Please everyone likes it. No. It. <laughs> it, um, brings me, it brings me with you to Milan. It's just visually. I was there. I was there. But I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah. One thing about the bells, by the way, it's the first kind of audio branding that was oh. <laughs> out there and one of the podcasts I recorded with the drop music branding mm-hmm. told me that as we had the bells in the background so it's a really interesting fact yeah I think this has to do something with the face and the gut and something you know you yeah. yeah I'm sure it's some magic behind this awesome mm. so who's Vladimira or Vladi Vladi Vladimira good question who am I It's been a question I was trying to answer. I'm trying to answer ever since. So how would I start? I'm going to start from where I am because this is my country of origin and my roots and what has shaped me and defined me. So I'm Slovak by origin. My name also gives it away. People usually think I'm Russian because of my name, which my dad, he really wanted a boy and he got two girls so at least he made his mark by naming me Vladimir because he's Vladimir so that goes with me wherever I go so coming from a small city in Slovakia I think it has indeed shaped me because uh, 
although it was a city of 14,000 citizens, somehow I always felt like I have a world on a hand and opportunities are available to me. And I was going after them. And uh, we obviously talk about it, but it has shaped me in a way that when I realized and saw around me that a lot of other people are not privileged in a similar way, or for some reason or another, they're not grabbing the choices and chances that the world offers for them. I wondered, I wondered by what's happening there, whether it's something on their personal self-confidence level. And it was nearly this strong, and I think we're going towards the gut talks already, but it was this urge coming from deep down. And I think it's connected even to my family and my mom and, and older sister, where I wanted for them to also be out there and getting all the possibilities of the world. And then when I saw a lot of people, again, whom I think by where they got born and the systemic challenges and discrimination, they just could not really see the possibilities for them out there. That's where I was drawn towards human rights and the whole space of how entrepreneurship as a power, as an engine can help those people to have a dignity and, uh, and freedom of choice. Freedom of choice defines a lot who I am and what I stand for in life. But I'm not sure if this is what you looked for in the definition of who I am, but I think this is yeah. how, where I would start. Absolutely. And I was going to ask you, actually, why do you do what you do? But you kind of answered this as mm. well in a certain sense. And touching on the subject of where you were born and so on, that's one of the things you're not in control of. And that shapes you kind of. It's something we touched on slightly when in episode five with Luis Arnal and episode 15 with Simon Squibb, because we touched on that thing. And it's interesting that you're bringing it up as well and going, starting from there, because at the end of the day, you were in Europe as well, in, you know, the old Czechoslovakia, yes. Bratislava, now that I visited, as yes. I told you before, like for like a half a day. And you saw the opportunities and you started grabbing them. And I relate to that. I mean, I come from Lebanon. I'm not going to like, it changed so much over time. But again, if you want to make it change or try to, there are ways to do that. Yeah, yes. this resonates because it's interesting, right? So when I was growing up, I really did not feel that I did not have the chances and opportunities. And I really felt, I think at that point, I didn't even have the awareness that I was privileged. I certainly didn't have it. But then actually, as I started sort of going outside and expanding and exploring and touching and feeling the world, one I personally explored that actually or experienced when I first went to Denmark for studies, it was a harsh experience, I have to tell you. Although I loved it, again, it shaped me a lot. It was uh, quite difficult in terms of that Danish people are raised in a different way. They, from the day one, they have an opinion. They don't really respect authority they're giving to them. They're only the natural one, right, that they create. And so there are strong personalities, a lot of them. And I came there from an educational system in Central Europe, Central Eastern Europe, where you are supposed to be more passive, you are taking on, and then when you are allowed and invited, you have an opinion, right? Uh, which is very different from how Denmark operated. So at first, it was really tough experience. And I sort of started also feeling what it means to 
have my background, like my background started to be a little bit of burden for me. It was very interesting, that experience. And I took it quite hard. And then later on in life, I started feeling what you were referring to is that where you get born, indeed, if one, you don't have a choice over it, and it really defines the opportunities and the mindset and everything around you, right? I mean, the cultural context, religion is another thing that people usually don't choose, maybe later in life, if they rebel in for a lot of us in a lot of our cases. But the one thing that I have learned over time that I really stand strong behind is that I think in whatever conditions you find yourself, as you said, you do have choices to make. And I strongly believe that also all of us who are privileged, I believe that we should go towards creating the opportunities, creating education, creating work, jobs, enablement, instead of looking with a pity or creating handouts, going with the charity mindset to creating the equality, creating the opportunity of choice. That's something that I'm trying to sort of live and breathe every day. It's not always easy because you fall into a trap, but yeah. You're focusing on entrepreneurial challenges, right? Mainly in emerging countries, but the entrepreneurial challenges anyway, they're universal in a certain sense. So you have also other challenges for sure in some emerging countries that you don't face in developed countries, such as connectivity, such as security and stuff like that. So what are the commonalities or the entrepreneurial challenges at the human level? Because this is kind of the sweet spot you're focusing mm. on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it is. And it's a real joy and it makes me feel alive every day. I mean, I was just talking to a friend yesterday around this, like what makes you alive? It's not a question you ask yourself every day. And I actually realized that it is that possibility to really work hand in hand and shoulder to shoulder with other entrepreneurs and ideally also to see the impact they create or we create together. But I've been asked this question on another conversation, another podcast, like, are there differences? Are there commonalities between the different parts of the world in terms of the challenges? And I think there is more commonality than differences, frankly, at least from what I've experienced and seen. We work with entrepreneurs who are particularly early on their journey. So often I work with entrepreneurs who come into the space with the big ambition, big vision, a little bit of naivety, lack of experience lack of tools in their toolkits. It often comes with the sense that they need to absolutely hustle and that their own personal well-being comes at the cost of it. So they find themselves really low on their priority list. I would say the two things or three things that we really focus on, one is a uh, deep motivation. What's the desire for you to do what you are embarking on to do? Because entrepreneurship is hard. We know all the stats. I'm not going to go there, but it's like most of the businesses fail. It is a very particular life path, right? So having this deep intrinsic motivation that is emotion, you're emotionally connected to, it's essential because when the hardship hits, that's where you are going to go and you know, you're going to energize yourself and you're going to reach to that place. So you need to know why you are doing this. So we spend quite a lot of time in that place. I would say the second one, which is a little bit more 
tactical. You know what was interesting? We don't use this terminology like, oh, you have to build a lean startup, etc. It's interesting. I, I've operated within the Western world where it nearly felt like you can't make a step without having these tools in your toolbox. And you were we were all using the buzzwords and stuff. In emerging market context where this sort of has not arrived yet, we talk to people in this very simple language. And it's not because they would not understand. It's just because we don't need the buzzwords. But we, yes, we do talk to them about what it means to understand the need of your customer, that you first have to validate your hypothesis before you build anything, right? So we speak a lot or we spend a lot of time on equipping the entrepreneur with some of those, yes, methodologies, but ways to approach building. So that's the second one, because that's also where the, I would say the naivety, but not only naivety, it's also the urge and the curiosity, the hunger is there. And they just want to build real quick without really understanding whether the need is out there beyond their own mind and experience. The third bid that we focus on a lot is that mindset, because the founder, and when I say a mindset, it is a mindset around how are you building your organization, your team? What are the important values? We talk a lot about values fit. It is a new thing for entrepreneurs and for the teams over there. And within that, we also put very deep focus on what I already mentioned, which is that nurturing culture where being is an important piece. Because again, I think in the context of countries like Pakistan, we keep saying emerging markets, but for me at the moment, it's Pakistan primarily. Emotional mental health is still heavily tabooed topic. There is a major stigma around it. And it is not something that entrepreneurs would talk about lightly share. So it's something that we are trying to create a safe environment and also talk about what are some of those tools that uh, can help you to create that. I like that. Long, and I know. <laughs> no, no, it's it's cool. And, you know, mental health, even in the Western world, they're trying to create awareness around it and like talk about it. And the UK is the prime example where they're trying hard to mm. talk about it and now prince harry or yes harry i don't know how really but anyway he he's uh, part of a mental health startup yeah exactly and he's been talking about the topic of failure which is a massive topic you reminded me of i was once at an event and someone was saying you should learn how to fail you should not learn how to fail but you should accept that you can fail and if mm. you fail it's great because you will learn but don't take it as a failure but don't start a startup but saying I should fail or I should learn how to fail. Hmm. That's something. It's another. It depends on the way the word is being used and accepting it and be ready for it. It can happen. Most probably it will happen anyway. On the buzzwords topic, one thing about entrepreneurship is it is a buzzword and it's not something you can read in a book. You can learn things, but the most important things is experience and being surrounded by people who have been through it can help as well. But also people who that's like completely another topic but the word mentor and different accelerators and so on and I really dislike this word mentor but you use it right because that's how they put you in this bucket but having kind of industry leaders and so on because can help because they know what's happening inside and then getting out of it and having people who are more generalists can help so it's a combination but buzzwords i think that would be a topic for because i, I like that one but yeah I'd, i like I wanna... the simple language right yeah i mean i think we should start coming back to embrace it to the simplicity i sometimes i feel like we just there's 
we say a lot and I try to catch myself as well because really I, I've been worse mostly when I was operating within the London ecosystem and London environment. We were just all so buzzy and buzzwordy. And this experience working with people in Pakistan has, yeah, has challenged me and taught me a lot around just be simple, be practical. It's interesting, like Maria, I have to tell you, I came there and one of the businesses that we work with, they have, so it's an agri-tech business. And what they do is that they provide advisory services through very basic phones to farmers across Pakistan. They have worked with about 7 million farmers when we joined them. It's a family-owned business, grow very organic. And I was amazed how they managed to grow to 7 million number. I mean, when I compared it to the experiences I used to have in the previous world, like mostly London and US, when we were building like MVPs, a buzzword, right? The first product testing, you've had like 50 customers and you were already on TechCrunch, right? And here you go, you have this startup that is sort of unknown. It's not a startup. Also the word startup does not really exist. I mean, it's now, yes, people use it, but still they leapfrogged, they jumped it. It's like they're building companies and they're enabled by technology. And so when I actually looked under the 7 million, like looked on the organization, on the processes, it was sort of, non-existent. It was very organically built. So when we came in there, now they serve about 16 million. So we help them to scale, but it was very important to sort of go back to the foundation, put in some, not to overburden it by processes, but to understand what it means really to build a digital company and how you can grow further because they were sort of reaching that top but it amazed me you know it was very refreshing experience to meet with entrepreneurs who were not using those words who were very hungry for knowledge and for support we didn't even use again the word mentor we simply were there with them as co-founders that's also our analogy we don't see ourselves as advisors and mentors it's more as the co-founders our model is sweat equity so we really sweat for the work we work with them so and um, you learn a lot i guess because oh, they're in the trenches right they yeah. they know the culture they know how it works yeah, but yeah. having another perspective helps as well yeah so for me it was important because my other two co-founders they're senior entrepreneurs and investors they're both pakistani and but they both lived abroad so collectively i think one of the big sort of advantages that we bring to the local founders is also that global experience. So we are helping them to also, when they do their competition analysis, we help them to actually look beyond the borders of Pakistan, which usually they did not, right? We help them to think around some of the ways how to approach, again, as we were talking, like what it means to go and test out there, what it means to have a customer-centric approach, design thinking. I mean, those are some methodologies, but we're breaking it into very small pieces but and steps. So that comes from that experience of living it, breathing it in different markets as well. So yeah, that's that's I, th- I would say it's one of the big part of the value, but it's a brilliant learning experience. I'm very grateful and try to be also quite humble about it because I'm in some way, and I would say consciously I'm saying visually, I can still be seen as a foreigner, as an outlier with them, right? But it's been really beautiful because from very early on, I felt this strong sense of belonging and that I sort of was able to assimilate 
into the culture and just sort of be global citizen, just be Vladi. I really don't wear my identity of being a Slovak white straight woman. I'm Vladi and and then they're them and sort of we work on those mission-driven adventures and that has been very important for me mindset-wise how I approach my living and days. Ad break. No, not an ad. But as you may have noticed, this show has no sponsors. But you can still support Gut Talks by leaving five stars or a comment on your podcast player and like, share and follow the social media channels of Gut. W-G-U-T. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get going. So we talk about in a self-centric way, mm. you try to make sure that you are Vladi, you want to stay Vladi, because from the outside, they might look at you as being, you know, this white European girl, right? Yeah, the How? Word for it. it's, it's Gora. <laughs> Gora and Gori. <laughs> Gora. White okay. foreigners. <laughs> How did you manage to, I don't know if the word is mm. correct, to achieve this personally, but also with them in the way they perceive you? Mm-hmm. Like, do you need to nurture if you want a relationship or you try to set it out from the beginning and how do they perceive it? At least how do you feel they perceive it? Mm -hmm. So it was an evolution sort of. And also I'm learning every day, but this is maybe also what it's beautiful because we can talk about how your podcast is called, which is the guts, right? Because it does plug in there. The intuition for me is very important for this as well. I need to do that because you actually started it, you know, so... (laughs) (laughs) So let's do it properly. So uh, speaking about the intuition gets. So when I entered, I remember it's now about three years when I sort of my first few really days in Pakistan, I remembered that what I was trying to be very conscious about at that point in time, I was called in for a project. I wasn't doing what I'm doing today. I was called in for a project to work with the major technology scale up. As an sort of as an advisor, then how they saw me to help them build this learning, nurturing, adaptive culture. Like, what does it mean from a human point of view, people, a sort of organizational perspective to grow to a bigger level, to scale? So that was my role. And I had the counterpart. I had somebody who called himself a head of people and organization. His name was Fakhr. And I remember entering a sort of a boardroom and they introduced us and I was supposed to like bring all my knowledge and magic and present it. That's how they asked, like, tell us, like, how are we going to do it? And I was like, on the way there, I thought through it and I was like, that's not the way I can do this. Like, I cannot come into the room like a white European woman and be like, oh, I know all that. And I'm going to tell you like, wait, listen, you listen. I'm going to tell you how you need to do this. So I knew that that's immediately wired in the wrong way. So I approached it in a conversation. I introduced myself by my experience. Who am I as an individual? I tried to connect it on a human level from the first moment. And Maria, then I was curious. So how I actually started it was with a lot of questions. So from day one, it was important for me that we operate as partners and not from any power dynamic or hierarchy where because naturally they look up to you because there is that notion that the I'm going to go in the sensitive topic here, but the whiteness, it really gives you some sort of a privilege in that country. People look at you differently. And for me, that was new because I never walked into the room 
with the color of my skin, right? I was, at least I never wanted to be aware of that. Although I did try to understand the challenges that people have had in their own experiences that are related to, let's say, race and their identities. Let's speak identities because we can speak about different parts of us. So, but because I was aware, because my co-founder at that point or person who is now my co-founder at that point, he called me for the project. He told me that this is probably how they're going to look at you. And there was this ask. I immediately knew that I have to go against it. So, and that's what I felt. I really wanted to connect on the human level and make Fakhr really elevate him to a level where he was my partner. And I needed to learn from his experience, as you said before, about the local knowledge. I needed to understand the company. And he is somebody who's been building it, right? So that was very important for me. And then it did work. If I reflect back, it did work. I mean, after a few few weeks, really, just trying to be one of them in as a human being, not as I, I wasn't trying to be Pakistani in any way. I was trying to be curious about the culture and nuances, right? And everything that was new for me. And they were equally curious. So I think the curiosity here is very important and the conversation, the dialogue. Also, the ability to create a safe space to ask sometimes questions that might feel uncomfortable, right? So you go there, you ask about what feels like, oh, is it really like this? How, how does this work here, you know? And particularly when you're working on something like a company culture, I mean, how can you work, right? So this was a question I've got a lot. It's like, how can you go there and work on a company culture? So it was a little bit more around me trying to share some of the good practices and tactics and approaches to it. And then we localized it through them and with them for how can this work in their context. And this is something that I believe has been really important for me to make it work. Yeah, I can relate to that because different experiences in Mm. corporations, a little bit of social innovation, not hardcore like you. It's always important when you position yourself not as the expert, but mm-hmm. as the facilitator, kind of. I wouldn't even say the consultant. Yeah. I just think this <laughs> yeah. word works personally, but anyway. A polluted word. Yeah, I mean, that's another topic, but sometimes you might be viewed as you're just going to come here to talk and try to sell me something, but nothing's going to happen, right? It can be perceived in that yeah. sense, not only in social innovation context, where that could be in terms of NGOs and stuff, but also in corporations where they see lots of consultants, but they often or sometimes don't see results. It depends on the experience. It's not good to generalize as well because some are really good, you know. But I've been kind of trashed once. Like as soon as I opened the door, I was like, oh, welcome, welcome. And then bam, 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 bam. What are you going to do, you know? Mm. It's like, you know, just give me a chance. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the point here I'm trying to say is that when you kind of have some expectations and work around them, And make sure that you're going to learn from them because they are the experts. You're here to support the process and so on. That makes a big difference because you can go to a company anywhere, even like in the Western world and say, I'm going to teach you how to fix your company. You're going to support in processes and in the way maybe they think and in the mindset and whatever you bring to the table. 
this would be like kind of starting with arrogance and it wouldn't work mm. and it mm. would kind of um, resentment create I friction that, yes friction, friction at the beginning yeah yeah no i can i can absolutely relate to that and i think we've been trying to sort of work with this approach and mindset even now when we have neem exponential and we work with a you know it's a still small group of companies it's an intimate group but we go very deep the fact that we become as a co-founder even that sort of puts across the approach like what's the intention it puts across the intention right that we are here with you we are part of it we get our hands dirty we are in this together and sort of let's tap into our different complementary experiences to make this success and and joyful experience for everybody we don't come as oh, we are the advisors and or yeah. mentor. No, it's the power of language here, the power of narrative and the intention is magical. It does make a big difference. And you come across as genuine and authentic as well. I'm not saying it just because I see mm. you now behind <laughs> the screen and so on and, you know, in the way you talk. So mm. this makes a difference as well. Although, you know, I don't know how other cultures would perceive this. I mean, it depends, but usually people can connect with emotions. So, yeah. and this is universal, right? You can't fake it. Going back my gut, but people would feel it, I guess. So this is why it's working for you. You're being successful because you are who you are. Mm. I truly believe when you connect with another human being, when you care about them as an individual, as a person, and you connect on that human level as a starting point, I think that's the essential foundation. And you allow for yourself and also for the other, the authenticity to come across. And the whole sort of collaboration looks completely different from when you approach it as a, with some masks. And we wear so many of them, all of us every day. So in this way, I think also the experience in Pakistan had been really, I mean, again, joyful for me because I felt that they are very authentic people, just genuinely like the ability to connect and build relationships and emotionally connect to people was very easy for me in some way it reminded me my experience mostly from Slovakia so I find Slovaks to be that way as well and I don't like to generalize my nations and cultures but in some way I'm gonna do it here but they made it very easy for me to actually relate and, and build a home I consider it one of the homes you said at the beginning, Karachi. And I would say it's Pakistan as is or as a whole, because even there we travel. And yes, Karachi is where we spend sort of most of the time, but they make it very easy for me to feel at home. I couldn't connect with Bratislava because I went there for half a day. People were so nice. That was about 10 years ago, but people were genuinely nice. I think we couldn't connect on a you know language level, but at an mm. emotional level. You know, just talking for a coffee, people are really smiling and they want to help you if you ask for directions. Oh, that's good this, is, <laughs> this is the memory of my half day. If you mm. ask me one takeaway from Bratislava, you know, you always have something that comes back to your mind. And when we first spoke, this is what I told you initially, that was my memory. And that makes me want to go mm. back there because now it's changed, right? It's been a long time. Mm. But this okay. is something that makes an impact, in, you know, in someone's mind. So it does, um, it does. Um, we connect emotionally, right? Yeah. As uh, human beings. So, yeah. I want to ask, how did you make the leap to move from the Anthemis group to what you're doing today? Yeah. So my role, so Anthemis is a really pioneering fintech, finished technologies fund, global fund. And 
a lot of my things in life, when I look on my path, it's everything but narrow. So there was a serendipity in there. And, and I think serendipity and ability to make that jump, the open eyes, but also really, I mean, allowing yourself, giving yourself a permission to go, to try. And that was really how I also entered Anthemis. So I met Nadim, who became sort of a soulmate, but a co-founder in, in many ways. So he was at that point, he was one of the founders of Anthemis. And we met in Bratislava because my I was building a co-working and whole entrepreneurial sort of ecosystem in Slovakia. And he came because one of my co-founders here was his former colleague and we called him in and he came for a conference and there was an instant click. And he's like, you have to come to London to see Anthemis Group, like how we are building the fund and how we are engaging with the companies. And I was very curious and it was already before I lived abroad and I was like, London was never on my map before. So I was like, why not? I want to see a global fund and the interaction with really companies of different sizes and different sort of phases in which they were of growth. Uh, so I gave it a chance. I jumped already on that train and it was a huge learning curve. I would say... Now I can compare a little bit. I'm feeling a little heavy about that experience because there is a lot of good, but it was also, it was quite difficult for me. When I connect, as we were talking, I connect emotionally on a human level. I think there were a few factors that contributed to the fact that I did not, or it took me a long time to build some sense of belonging with the company, with the environment. I mean, if you ever worked in London in a way that you were, um, Pendler, a commuter. So what it means, I've kept my home in Bratislava. I didn't move to London. I didn't want to do it. I so worshipped my balance that I had here in Bratislava. I loved the life here, the people. And I said, I'm going to commute. So I was commuting every week to London for a few days, which some people can look at, oh, it's adventure, privilege. In some way, yes, but it was very hard in a way that it didn't allow me to really deeply connect with the people in the company and build those deep relationships. And that's something I really nurture and nourish because that's where I take my energy from. I think at that point in time, I didn't give it too much of focus, which today I'm more conscious about it and more careful even for my own well-being. So what I was doing though, I also within the company, I transitioned in different roles because I was searching for myself in there. I first became part of the advisory group. Oh, it didn't fit me at all. I didn't know anything about financial services. I was advising. I mean, this was a bold step from them that they, which I actually, I have to call them out in a good way for this. They were ready as at that point in time, this was like 2000, I think 15, 16, they were ready to take people from different backgrounds and different life experiences outside of VC experience, outside of financial services to work with them and put them in front of their clients because they valued the diversity of perspectives that we brought in, right? So I tried to really step up for it and nurture and bring it in, but it was hard, let me tell you. And generally, I, the advisory sort of, it was more traditional, conventional type of advisor. It didn't fit me. You want to be more on the ground kind of, right? On the ground, indeed. And also to be a little bit more, I think it had too many boundaries for me. It was too defined. It was sort of like, I felt like in a box. And so I challenged Anthemis founders to allow a space for me to create a role. And it indeed it happened. We created something that was called Anthemis Institute, which was really this platform to 
start working with early stage entrepreneurs and who were coming into fintech and they wanted to build their big vision and ambitions. So that was my first sort of, well, not first, but first that anthem is experience starting working and being shoulder to shoulder, supporting entrepreneurs in their growth path. And also I've got exposure to emerging market through Antimus. So through Antimus Institute, we started building a relationship with ecosystem like in Kenya, Ghana. So what we were doing is we were trying to help those ecosystem to build the fintech ecosystem specifically and help them understand what it takes to work with a regulator, to build incubators, to support really be on the ground with the entrepreneurs, all of the bits and pieces that are part of that sort of nurturing environment. So I love that. So I stayed with Anthemis for about three years. At the end of the journey, I was really transitioning mostly towards this founder psychology sort of topics, very deeply towards diversity and inclusion. So the company cultures, the operating systems. And then there were a number of reasons why I jumped. Some of them were personal. I felt that I was ready for another experience that I can step on my own two feet and start building my own sort of platforms and ventures. I wanted to feel and give it an experience to be an entrepreneur and not just for the sake of being an entrepreneur, but I had the two causes that I really deeply cared about, which one was the mental, emotional health of founders. And I felt that it is really sort of underserved space, underserved cause. And I've met my current co-founders and we wanted to build a venture around it. So it was one trigger. And the other trigger was that I, when my experience in in Kenya and Ghana really allowed me a deep sense of self-awareness and I felt that I belong into those type of environments. It allowed me the experience of working with entrepreneurs on the ground and the people that we've been helping to really shift their lives from the below poverty levels to give them opportunity, the enablement. I was touching it, feeling it, and I wanted more of it. Even egoistically, I felt that this is where I can give value, but I can also sort of nurture and nourish. So that's what I made uh, the jumps, but I didn't think that Pakistan will come. I, I didn't have that plan. So that was also serendipitous, but yeah, that's a long answer to your question. Uh, no, I, it's, I love it's never never narrow and and straightforward right i mean there are always nuances to it no i love the answer and actually you mentioned diversity and inclusion and belief and belonging mm. mainly and you say you actually have or kept before your home in bratislava and still have it right now so where do you believe home is for you today so Practically, I'm pausing just because I'm thinking about it. It's a good question because I get asked this question. So one answer is that there is no one place. For me, this answer is a little bit more, I would say, spiritual than anything. It is connected to places where, again, I feel that I belong and I can connect. I have memories. I have people that I feel well around. At the moment, I spend most of my times in those three countries, which is Pakistan, Slovakia, and UK, London. But uh, I do call them homes today. But a good friend, she asked me, like, are you thinking, like, how are you thinking about those homes in the future? And I don't know. So my 
concept of home is fluid, although it's not, it's fluid in its manifestation, but in terms of what it means for me and the meaning of it, it's not, right? So I am quite, in a sense, adaptable or able to adapt to new places, new environments and build my home there. So my home is sort of Go with the flow. Um, I'm going with the flow. And uh, yeah, it's indeed traveling with me, you know. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's mostly with the people and the environment. That's where my home is. I kind of expected this answer mm -hmm. from you. I wasn't mm -hmm. expecting you to tell me this is where I feel because, yeah, I get what you mean. And it's a tough question at the same time. It's an easy one because I get your yeah, point. You're not going to be limited to... Yes, the, the physical stuff you have, you know, the yeah, material I, the, stuff. That, it's that, not exactly. that. Exactly. So. That does not. No, I didn't have that awareness from day one. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was sort of in a way creating those homes. And there was a point on my journey that I realized that this is something I'm happy to compromise on, which was the material, the physical. So sometimes it can be tough to have a fluid home. You know, it can be tough. In, in some moments, you can indeed feel alone not lonely you can feel alone right because it just leaves you you don't have that one place you go to and you can always return I mean my parents would probably hate to hear that because they would say oh you have that one place you can return which is with them and I mean God bless it's still the truth because they're alive and I have my sister and everything so the family's there and it's also not given right for a lot of people that does not represent a home but in my case it is but it was a journey to arrive to this sort of awareness and like it's not always easy to live in such way but it is something I want to embrace and it is my conscious choice that this is how I want to live and it's making my well-being nurtured. Awesome and anything you would like to say to add? I'm, I was curious because your podcast is called Gut Talks right so I was thinking about it before I came on the show and it's an interesting concept because I feel that I naturally sort of live my days by trying to listen a lot to my intuition and to my gut and what it's telling me and having that voice. It's mostly, it's less of a voice than it's a feeling. And this is where the tricky part comes because I was about to say it helps you make decision and then sort of live your life. But I think, and this is an interesting conversation, I would love to hear also how your, I guess, your conversations with other guests went on because The gut can be tricky. It can be very biased as well. So I try to be also quite self-conscious on calling myself out where the conformity, the confirmation bias kicks in from the gut because gut can be telling us a lot also that comes from around protecting ourselves, right? And staying in that comfort place of the known. So this is where I'm still building my relationship with it and trying to understand when to use it and when not, and when to say, no, no, here I really have to step away and call myself out. So thank you for bringing it on because it, you know, challenged me in sort of thinking, how do I approach this? What's my point of view? Is it a question you're asking me as well? I or think so. I, this is maybe where, you know, I treat the podcast as a conversation that goes both ways. But yeah, yeah I would be curious, like, and where it came from, maybe even. Yeah, sure. So in terms of guests, I had different answers so far, like mm. all kinds of answers. But the best one for me, because that was like not expected. Do you trust your gut in your decision making process? It's like, no, I don't trust my gut. 
Mm-hmm. And that was brilliant, actually, because and then that was Blake, actually, from episode 12. And then he went on to explain, you know, all mm-hmm. his thinking process mm-hmm. and so on. But it was a gut reaction to this answer. Mm-hmm. But in general, people try to set it up and some people listen to it. Some people trust it. Some people don't. So it's in different ways. But for me as well, gut feeling comes from a series of experiences. And it's for me, it's when I became conscious about it in a certain way. So Throughout my even childhood, I remember I would make decisions based on my gut or I would kind of feel that something is going to happen or I should do this. And then after I'd be like, oh, but that's how I would have gone about it or that's what I thought. But I didn't know it was the gut feeling. My dad always had told me that he has this kind of sixth sense, mm-hmm. not in an arrogant way or anything, but this is what helps him make decisions. He works in the corporate banking world, so he kind of makes decisions on who's gonna get money or not, basically, Mm -hmm. right? And he really goes by this sixth sense. But again, I think it's over time that I started connecting the dots and be like, no, when I started listening to my gut, I'm not going to say trust it all the time, but mm-hmm. listening and being conscious about Take it. Take it as one of the voices, right? That's yeah. that's where I connect because when you're describing your dad, I like part of me is like, oh my God, like making decisions based on this. It's so tricky because I think, again, I, I do think that we don't know the unconscious bias that kicks in. And a lot of times that inner feeling, the inner gut, the intuition is actually a bias right? I mean, it's that experience that we've been framed by. But yeah, so that's sort of my inner, you know, like reaction on when I hear this. But I love what you said at the end, which is like, taking it as one of the voices, but actually dissecting it, right? I mean, not taking it as the only directional sort of, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I compare it because I have a design background, right? 100%, basically, if I need to call mm. myself something, it would yeah, be yeah. that. But When I started teaching it as well at a foundation level, so foundation is like students who are in their first year of, you know, being architects, fashion designer, whatever, graphic, whatever. And it's a course I had myself, but in a different way, not foundation, not hardcore into that. And I learned a lot as well by seeing how the instinct and the assumption can help. And that's how I go about my gut besides being the biological side of it, Mm. where if your gut's all right, you're all right. It's about coming up with something, throwing it out there, then starting to rationalize it. So take a step back, trying to understand it and dissect it. And then you can make this decision by keeping, you know, what matters and balancing it out. So if you want different yeah, interpretations of it, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's, that, it's, it's really tough. It's for me, just listening to it and being aware is something that helped even for my own personal and business life in kind of in this sense. When I talk to people, when I kind of know who I'm going to connect with or not, and what happens is I'd say, I'm not going to waste my time on this, which might be wrong. I'm still mm-hmm. exploring, but so far it's all right. But when I was looking for a business name for my, you know, my mm-hmm. agency, it was so tough to find a name that would also reflect who I am. I went through a series of names and then I came up with gut and WGUWT to emphasize on it. And then from that, gut mm-hmm. talks unfolded and gut tips and gut trainings and gut whatever. That's what oh, I'm trying to build your, at the moment yeah. and playing around with it really <laughs> in a branding mm-hmm. aspect. But initially, yeah, it's... 
it's, it's awesome. a question I ask everyone on the podcast yeah. as well. So it's it's awesome to also see where it comes from because we're coming back to again, this is sort in a, in some way entrepreneurial endeavor, right? Venture from you. So it's always curious for me, or I'm curious always. It's interesting to understand where that comes from and like how did you sort of build this whole thing? What motivates you? So this resonates. Thank you for that. And um, yeah, where can we find you besides, you know, the websites uh, that I'm going to link the podcast, everything in the description, but any Twitter handles or anything? Um, so I am not on Twitter. That's <laughs> I've, It's been a, a battle for a long time, but I decided to use my energies for, or be very conscious of where do I put my sort of words out and energy. So I spent quite a lot of time on LinkedIn. It's been working quite well for me. So I'm sharing my experiences from both Future Farm and Pakistan there. So you, people can find me. It's Vladimir Meshko Brisinska on LinkedIn. I sort of use Instagram, but it's maybe if you're interested in more visual experience from Pakistan, then you can find me there. Facebook, very little. So I would say probably those two, uh, mostly LinkedIn as a primary channel. And then the website that we will link. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. No, thank you for thank you. having this morning call. And I really enjoy the conversation. So it's totally a brilliant not. start of a day. This is the end of this episode with Vladimira, or Vladi, as she likes to be called. We spoke about her experiences, her journey, and her explorations around emerging countries. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Gut Talks by Maria Matloub. To support the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with anyone who could benefit from listening to these stories and experiences. To continue the conversation, join the Telegram channel. All links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you next time.